Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. In last week's episode, we begin to look at President Kennedy's autopsy at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. If you missed it, please go back and listen, because it's an important episode. In this week's episode, we begin to look at what the autopsy doctors found, and how what they saw differed greatly from what the Parkland doctors said they saw immediately after the assassination. Keep in mind, back in episode 27 through 29, we heard from the Parkland Hospital doctors and staff about the wounds that they saw on President Kennedy immediately after the assassination. Doctors and personnel said they saw a small entrance wound in the front of the president's throat and a large gaping exit wound in the back of President Kennedy's head. So what you're going to hear this week is that's not the wounds that the autopsy doctors saw at Bethesda Naval Hospital. How is this possible? Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This is just in from Dallas, Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz of today, the assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy. At 7.35 p.m. on November 22, 1963, Dr. Humes and Dr. Boswell removed Kennedy's body from his casket and began the autopsy. Around two dozen people, including military officers, were in attendance. Admiral Berkeley, who was the president's doctor, urged the doctors to expedite the autopsy. He says, quote, all we need is the bullet, end quote. Dr. Humes and Boswell, however, argued for a thorough and complete autopsy, but temporarily submitted. Medical personnel took photographs, both black and white in color, and x-rays of the president's head. The x-rays revealed around 40 small bullet fragments along the bullet's trajectory through Kennedy's head, with two large enough to be of interest to investigators. Dr. Humes and Boswell then contacted wound ballistics expert Lieutenant Colonel Pierre Fink for assistance. However, they grew tired of waiting and removed the two fragments. They also extracted Kennedy's entire brain and placed it in a jar for later study. Fink arrived soon thereafter and examined the head wound with Boswell and Humes. Kennedy's body was then turned onto its side to examine the other wound. 
The three identified an entry point in Kennedy's back, but were unable to find the corresponding exit wound or the bullet upon initial probing. Colonel Fink argued for a complete radiological survey of the body, and Hume suggested they conduct a complete autopsy. This angered Admiral Berkeley, who argued that Jackley only wanted a limited autopsy. Admiral Calvin Galloway, the commanding officer of the U.S. Naval Medical Center, overruled Berkeley and ordered the doctors to carry out an entire autopsy. However, after further examination and the full-body x-rays, no bullet or major fragment was recovered from Kennedy's body. The physicians were puzzled, and observers suggested various hypotheses. The projectile was a soft point bullet made of plastic or ice until an FBI informed a physician that a bullet had just been found at Parkland Hospital. This is the bullet that would later become known as the magic bullet. This is the bullet that has been under so much scrutiny lately, as Secret Service agent Paul Landis claims he found the bullet in the presidential limousine and placed it on the president's gurney as the doctors were working to save the president's life. After midnight, three skull fragments discovered by the Secret Service were brought to the pathologist. They noted the largest fragment had what appeared to be an exit wound, confirmed when x-rays found metal fragments. After completing the autopsy after midnight, Humes informed the waiting FBI agents that Kennedy had been hit by two bullets from behind, to the back and to the head. He concluded that the later bullet had been fatal, and that the former had, quote, worked its way out of the body during cardiac massage at Parkland, end quote. Admiral Berkeley signed a death certificate on November 23rd and noted that the cause of death was a gunshot wound to the skull. He also noted, quote, a second wound occurred in the posterior back at about the level of the third thoracic vertebrae, end quote. A second certificate of death, signed on December 6th by Thurin Ward, a justice of the peace in Dallas County, stated that Kennedy died, quote, as a result of two gunshot wounds near the center of the body and just above the right shoulder, and one inch to the right center of the back of the head, end quote. Like I stated earlier, Dr. James Humes was the physician officially in charge of the autopsy, but other high-level personnel present exercised their authority over how the autopsy was actually carried out. Humes was not a forensic pathologist, nor had he ever performed an autopsy involving gunshot wounds. During the procedure, Dr. Berkeley ordered Humes not to track the path of the bullet wounds through the president's body. He also authorized him to destroy the original notes made of the autopsy, requiring Humes' written certification that this had been done. Humes, in later testimony, stated, quote, The original notes, which were stained with the blood of our late president, I felt, were inappropriate to retain, end quote. Can you imagine the most important autopsy may be in the history of this country, and you burn or destroy your notes? Unbelievable. The autopsy photographs taken at the outset of the procedure were supposed to be the official permanent record of the president's wounds. These photographs were poorly done, tampered with, and forged. They and the report had been suppressed with evidence missing or destroyed by the government since the day of the assassination. The autopsies were put under the threat of court-martial, with the following warning not to reveal any of the autopsy findings. The threat said, quote, You are reminded that you are under verbal orders of the Surgeon General and the U.S. Navy to discuss with no one events connected with the official duties on the evening of November 22nd, November 23rd, 1963. An infraction of these orders makes you liable to court-martial proceedings, end quote. Paul O'Connor, who was a technician at Bethesda Naval Hospital, talks about the threats made against him in this 1988 interview with the man who killed Kennedy. But what really scared me was about several days later, after the autopsy, we were ordered into the commanding officer's office. All of us that had anything to do with the autopsy, where we signed orders that stated under penalty of general 
will not divulge any information or talk to anybody. That's what scared me. Staff photographic consultants to the House Assassinations Committee in 1976 discovered major discrepancies between the Dallas doctor's original description of the wounds and the images in the autopsy photographs. The phony photos are clear evidence of a deliberate attempt to mislead the investigators of the crime. But beyond the issue of the fakery of evidence lies the question of its existence. Many items listed in the official inventory of autopsy materials are now missing or have been withheld or destroyed. Several large skull fragments were recovered in Dallas and photographed. Microscopic slides were prepared for the study of tissue samples from around the president's wounds. Both the fragments and the slides are missing from the National Archives. The president's brain was removed during the autopsy and placed in a stainless steel container filled with formaldehyde solution so that it could be sectioned and examined a short time later. These keys tests would have shown the trajectory of the bullets through the brain. However, there is no record or indication that the critical work was ever done. If the tests on the brain were performed and the results confirmed either a shot from the front or the existence of two separate shots of the head, those authorities with the power to suppress the evidence concealed this irrefutable proof of conspiracy by stealing the brain and skull fragments. autopsy there's also been a major discrepancy in the description of the president's fatal head wound it would be a jagged wound that involved the half of the right side of the back of the head my initial impression was that it probably was an exit wound so it was a very large wound this is not what the official autopsy photographs show hidden away for a quarter of a century they reveal the back of the head intact the autopsy photographs show a massive wound, but it's in the right temporal area and into the parietal area, which is behind it, between the two. It is inconceivable to me that every single one of the witnesses who saw the president's head could be wrong, and specifically wrong, about this particular wound. They describe an avulsed, exploded, open wound in the rear of the head. In the autopsy photographs, you saw, see a small, neat wound of entrance. It's obvious to me that those photographs have been faked. When I first saw the pictures of the president's body, so-called wounds, what really struck me was, especially the head wound, they showed a nice little neat round bullet hole in the back of his head. Well, actually what I saw was the whole side of his head blown off. It was gone. I don't know where those things came from, but they're totally wrong. Every one of them. In 1964, the Warren Commission dealt with this evidence by not looking at it. It was made available to them. They felt if they looked at it, they would have to deal with it and publish it. So they didn't deal with it. In 1977, around that time frame, the House Assassinations Committee had the photographs. What they did with it was even less excusable. They had the photographs, they had the questions that were brought to them about the photographs, and they did not allow the Dallas doctors, the most important witnesses in this particular area of the evidence, to even view them. And the reason seems quite clear. 
if they have the best eyewitnesses looking at the photographs saying that's not the condition of the president's head, then you not only have a conspiracy to kill the president, but absolute proof of the conspiracy to cover it up after the fact, because the only people who had the photographs were the government. If somebody faked those photographs, it was someone within the government, someone who had access to those photographs. But there are further disturbing indications of manipulation of the medical evidence in the hours prior to the autopsy at Bethesda. Tell us, Dr. Robert McClelland. I would estimate that about 20% to 25% of the entire brain was missing. My job in working with uh, autopsies was to remove the brain. What struck me was when we removed the sheet, I looked down, I said, my God, he didn't have any brains left, literally. I was just astounded by it. I think everybody else was too, because there was just a gasp throughout the room. There was no brain to be removed at all. At any normal autopsy involving such gunshot wounds, the brain would have been sectioned and the bullet tracks traced and all bullet fragments examined. This was not done. A vehement critic of the government's handling of the medical evidence is also one of the world's leading forensic pathologists, Dr. Cyril Wecht. If the brain was not sectioned, then there could be no visualization of its interior. It's as if it never existed. I am very, very suspicious. And I do think that it could have been uh, the, uh, the height of a sinister uh, conspiratorial activity in the post-assassination cover-up in this case to uh, make sure that the brain was not examined in order to be able to disprove or at least to be able to withhold uh, the attempts by other people, me and other critics, to prove that there was a second gunman firing from the right side. Because again, you see, that gets to the question of whether or not there was a conspiracy. Another long-standing critic of the official version of events has pursued the truth through the Freedom of Information Act, acquiring valuable documents which he believes prove a cover-up at the highest level. Former Senate investigator Harold Weisberg. Lee Harvey Oswald was killed by Jack Ruby on Sunday, the 24th of November. Nicholas Katzenbach was the acting attorney general and the deputy attorney general, and he knew immediately that Oswald wasn't going to be tried. They didn't have to put this evidence into court. So he takes a lawyer's yellow Lego pad, he writes out in longhand a memorandum to Bill Moyers, that was a channel to Lyndon Johnson, and in essence he says, we got to convince the world that Oswald was a lone assassin and that the evidence was such that he would have been convicted if he'd gone to trial. This is before they collected any evidence, this was Monday morning, Monday after the assassination. The Dallas police were still collecting evidence and had to be stopped. After Oswald's death, the FBI swiftly requisitioned all the physical evidence, much to the chagrin of police chief Jesse Curry. I had a request, and I, I have it here, where Mr. Wade requested uh, that I request that she turn all of the evidence obtained in the investigation of Lee Oswald's assassination of the president over to the FBI for mailing to Washington. We turned it 
turning all of our physical evidence over to the FBI. This was on the direct orders of the head of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover. Here you have the greatest police agency in the world. They're supposed to keep the president alive. He's killed in broad daylight on the streets of a modern American city. How can Hoover possibly admit that he couldn't know about this and he couldn't prevent it? There was only one way, by having a nut who was all alone to it. There was nobody to squeal on. So, from the beginning, J. Edgar Hoover had an instant vision. Oswald was a lone nut assassin, and that's all that anybody ever considered, anybody in official position. You can say, let me try and understand what the government did, how it worked this way. And you can understand that maybe for a couple of days, they didn't want the truth to come out because they, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't want to frighten people. They wanted to preserve domestic tranquility. Was it going to be an attack on Lyndon Johnson or the Secretary of State? Was it going to be an invasion from abroad? Was this the beginning of a revolution? Those kind of things have to enter the thoughts of the people in authority in Washington. After a couple of days when everybody knew this wasn't happening, then there's no excuse for the lying. Everyone that treated President Kennedy at Parkland Hospital and those who took part in the autopsy at Bethesda Naval Hospital was haunted for years about what they saw. Some remain haunted to this day. Paul O'Connor was a medical orderly who assisted at President Kennedy's autopsy on the night of the assassination. For many years he was prevented under threat of court-martial from talking about his frightening experience. It, it was such a relief when the House Assassination Committee allowed me to talk. Then I could get it off my chest. It was such a relief to do that. And I'm glad it was brought out of the closet. At least I don't have to walk around the rest of my life bursting the seams waiting to say, you people don't realize what I did or what I saw. You just believe what you are told to believe. You know he was shot, you know he was dead, and you know he was buried. That's all the general public knew. They didn't know about what we knew. And that was a hell of a feeling. So to be honest, we could do a dozen episodes about all the medical evidence in this case. All the Parkland doctors and personnel seen a large gaping wound in the back of the president's head. But at Bethesda Naval Hospital, the doctors said they saw something different. And the photographs show something different. How is this possible? You shouldn't have asked that. In November 1963, William Bruce Pitzer was head of the audiovisual unit at Bethesda Naval Hospital. A close colleague at the time was a young petty officer, Dennis David. Three or four days after the assassination, I walked in his office and I saw he was working on some uh, film. He had a movie editor, one of those reel-to-reel and runs across the screen. And he showed it to me and it was a 16-millimeter film of the autopsy. There were also some slides. He had some slides that he had uh, that showed uh, of tissue slides and also showed some slides of, of President Kennedy uh, that were taken while, uh, from, while he was on the uh, table at the morgue. And, uh, you know, we looked at him, uh, kind of horrified, I guess you would say, at the seriousness of the wound. But I remember one of the things that I remembered uh, was that we saw... They had a, a picture of Kennedy laying on the table, and it was a front profile, if you will, or front view. 
And the only thing we saw was a little hole about here in the temple. And uh, then and some, and another photograph, or another uh, slide that Bill had, uh, was showed a huge gaping hole here in the back. And so Bill and I logically assumed that uh, the wound was a frontal entry wound uh, as opposed to what the Warren Commission later said being a uh, shot from behind. Dennis left Bethesda for a new posting. But in November 1966, a colleague gave him some distressing news regarding his old friend Bill Pitzer. He'd been found dead in a pool of blood in his studio at Bethesda. The official verdict was suicide. Lying face down on the floor, a 38 revolver by his side, he had a bullet wound in the right temple. When the occupational therapist had told me this, I remember I, I reminded him, you know, that doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense because Bill was left-handed, and you know, uh, because we used to kid him all the time when playing bridge about being a southpaw, because sometimes he'd deal in reverse instead of dealing him in the correct uh, sequence, he'd deal him in the opposite way, and we we kind of harass him about it. There are grave doubts about Pitzer's alleged suicide. His left hand had been so mangled as if tortured that his wedding ring could not be removed and given to his widow. Bill had told me shortly before I had he left Bethesda, which was around the 7th of December of 65, uh, he told me that he was planning on retiring because he had enough time in and he was wanting to get out. And that he also said he, he had some damn lucrative offers from uh, some TV networks. And uh, other, other people have asked me why I think he was assassinated. And, uh, and I think it was because that with him retiring, they were, uh, they, and I don't know who they are, were afraid that he would take these f pictures that he and I had seen, this 35 millimeter and the uh, 16 millimeter film, that he was, that he would take them and that the, uh, if he went to work for a major studio, that they would use them or he would have them aired and that would really you know blow some people out of the water if that would have transpired i could be wrong i could be all wet but i do know those films exist because i was there i saw the damn things one of the assassination's most significant smoking guns indicating both a conspiracy and a cover-up is kept here kennedy's original autopsy photographs taken at bethesda hospital on the night of his death have always been used to support the lone gunman theory I've looked at these autopsy photographs at the National Archives on many occasions now. I've actually been there on nine separate visits. When the photographs of the back of the head at the autopsy were shown to 16 Parkland doctors, all 16 said they did not recognize that photograph as what they had seen in the emergency room at Parkland Hospital. How many people did recognize it? Zero. When I went to the archives to look at these photographs in the back of the head, there's a pair of photographs, so I used the stereo viewer. And what I saw was really quite shocking. This whole area of hair on the back of the head, with the hair standing up, looked as if it had been glued in one particular plane in space. It was two-dimensional, whereas the rest of the photograph is three-dimensional. And the 3D effect occurs for virtually all the other pairs of photographs. So this was unique. The back of the head, this area, and the hair sticking up here looked as though it was simply two-dimensional, as if it had been glued into one position in space in one plane. It was most bizarre. What does that mean? 
photographic forgery. We get a 3D effect for all the image except for the place where it's exactly the same because it's been dubbed in. So they took out basically the part where the hole was and instead they, they used a soft mat insert to put in the same image on each of these uh, photos of the back of the head so that it would look like there was no damage back here. If there's a big hole at the right rear of the head, that means a shot from the front. That can't be Oswald. So the conspirators were hard-pressed at this point. They had to get rid of that big hole at the back of the head, or it would have clearly shown shots from the front and no possibility of a lone gunman. Remarkable testimony regarding the autopsy photographs comes for the first time from veteran World War II photographer Joe O'Donnell. He worked for the State Department and then the U.S. Information Agency for a total of 23 years, serving with distinction under six presidents. He was devastated by Kennedy's death. He was a fine man. He really was. And I hate to say it, but I really loved him. I really did. Wonderful person. A close colleague of Joe's for many years was the late Robert Knudsen, a Navy photographer who was permanently attached to the White House. He didn't have many friends, not in the press. They were envious of him. But he was a very nice fellow. We always got along great. On the night of Kennedy's assassination, Robert Knudsen never came home. He returned to his family three days later, deeply disturbed. He told them he had taken many photographs of the president's body in the morgue at Bethesda and that it was the hardest assignment he'd ever had. He said the Secret Service had controlled all of the film. A few days after the assassination, I was at the White House in the press room, and Knudsen came to me, and he said, uh, Joe, I have something I want to show you. So I went back to his sort of a workroom, and uh, he pulled out an envelope and showed me about 12 pictures, five by seven, and had all these pictures of the president on his stomach and on his back, and could see the hole here about three-eighths of an inch, and the back of his head above the, the line, big hole about the size of a grapefruit. And then a couple days later, maybe a day later, he said, Joe, have a minute? And I said, sure. I said, I want to show you something. Those pictures I showed you the other day, these are the same ones, but a little different. And I said, what do you mean? He said, let me show you. He got the first one out, and I said, no hole. He said, no, they covered it up. And I looked in the back. The hole was neatly covered up. And I said, who did that? He said, well, I didn't do it. I said, well, I'm not saying you did, but I'm surprised. There is no record of Robert Knudsen attending Kennedy's autopsy. Yet, he had photographs in his possession that had clearly been altered to disguise a shot from the front. These photographs were always in the control of the Secret Service. So whoever, whoever changed this, whoever modified it, either had to be in the government or had to have the approval of the government to do this. Um, we certainly can't imagine the Mafia, for example, doing this or the Soviets. There's just no way. It had to be someone with uh, government approval. 
The government continues to be haunted by the discrepancy between the wounds the autopsy photographs show and what the Dallas doctors actually saw. In the late 70s, the House of Lincoln assassinations looked at the evidence of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, and one of the most disturbing things uh, about that evidence when they looked at it was the fact that there were a team of doctors where Kennedy had been taken right after he was shot in Dallas. These are Dallas doctors who were experienced in trauma who had said he had a hole in the back of his head. The House of Lincoln assassinations was trying to say that Oswald had done it, and with a hole in the back of the head, if you're being shot in the back and the, and the, the bullet blowing out in front, that doesn't fit. So the House Select Committee reported that it had refuted the Dallas doctors. The Dallas doctors had all got it wrong because they had better witnesses. Their witnesses were the witnesses who were uh, there in the morgue during the autopsy. And they said that 26 witnesses that they'd interviewed all endorsed the autopsy photographs showing the head wound up here. None of them agreed that there was a wound back here. There is no medical evidence that President Kennedy was hit from the front and to the right. But they didn't let us see the interviews. They didn't let us see the documents that these people had prepared. In fact, they were scheduled to have been suppressed until 2028. When the documents tumbled out in the mid-1990s, lo and behold, the autopsy witnesses, who the House Select Committee had interviewed, said the same thing the Dallas doctors did. The hole in the head was back here. They drew diagrams showing a hole in the head back here or back here. And it became very apparent that the House Select Committee had just interviewed these people, suppressed their testimonies, and then misrepresented them in their report. The forensic pathological panel simply says that if he was shot out from the front and to the right, the shot missed. The doctors who were supposed to evaluate the medical evidence for the House Select Committee assassinations never saw these suppressed interviews where not only were the, the Dallas doctors saying there's a hole in the back of the head here, but so were the more witnesses saying there was a hole in the back of the head. So it was a complete abomination. It was uh, perhaps the most dishonest thing that was ever done, and it was apparently done to keep Oswald as the central figure in this scenario. Next week on The End of Innocence, the JFK assassination, We'll take a look at the tragic story of Dorothy Kilgallen. Was she the person who was going to blow the lid off the entire JFK assassination? We'll see you next week.